Anybody here know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Anybody heard that? I know at least another Daniels. Good to see you tonight, bud. Amen. How many, how, how many of you tonight? Now, I'm going to give you a few right here, okay? So just stay with me. Uh, Shamua, Shaphat, Egal, Palte, Gideel, Gadai, Amiel, Sether, Nabai, and Geuel. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody knows who it is? I'm going to tell you why nobody knows who it is. Because these are the ten of the twelve spies that went into the land of Canaan with Joshua and Caleb. And when Joshua and Caleb came out, they said, we can. But these that I just named you are ten names of people that have been erased from history pretty much because when faith said, we can, their doubt said, we can't do it. And so there's a reason why, other than the fact that it's a small percentage of the 12 that you can name Caleb and Joshua. The number one reason that you can still name Caleb and Joshua is because when they went in to possess a land, Joshua and Caleb were still alive and kicking. But the 10 men that said, they, we can't do it, we're grasshoppers, they're bigger than we are. There's no way it can happen. Those 10 men, the Bible said that the Lord smote them. And they did not enter into the promise. Now let's just cut to the chase tonight and let me tell you that you're not going to enter into the promised land full of doubt and wandered around in confusion. I believe with all my heart that God's looking for somebody tonight that will buy in and say, Lord, if you believe in us, then we believe in us. If you say we can do it, then we can do it. Hallelujah. So tonight, as we read the names of the ten spies that went in, it really doesn't even make much difference because here's the truth. You can always find somebody with a negative report. You can always find somebody. Now, the amazing thing about this story is that most historians would agree, just depending on uh, where you look, but that there's somewhere between a million and three million people that left Egypt and went into uh, the wilderness. And what's amazing about this is that 12 men were sent in to spy out the land to speak on behalf of, let's just say, millions, okay? So millions of people are now uh, at the mercy of 12 people that walk in. And I know that in this time that we're in right now, that spiritual people feel like you are a minority. And you feel like because you have faith to believe in God that the majority is ruling and they say it cannot happen. But you listen to me tonight as I encourage you in the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you right now that what the ten had to say about possessing the land did not matter. Because the two that believed, the only thing they did was come into agreement with the Word of God. And when you can get two or three that will touch and agree on earth, my God, and come in agreement with the Word of God, 
I want to tell every naysayer. I want to tell every doubt speaker. You do not change the narrative and you don't change the mind of God. I still believe that even in the midst of chaos in this world, we are still more than conquerors. We are still mighty through God. Somebody look at your neighbor and tell them tonight, the bigger they are. (laughs) Woo! The bigger they are, the harder they fall. There is no doubt whatsoever that you and I are facing, and this word has been so overused, but there is no word that's more matter of fact and accurate than unprecedented times we are really facing unprecedented times I have never seen our world in the shape that it's in right now and I want to encourage you in the name of the Lord tonight that in all of your searching in all of your looking that you be certain you're looking for a good report amen I said that you're looking for a good report praise God amen so in the 13th chapter of the book of Numbers, and you, you remain seated, whatever you feel tonight, I'm just going to kind of work my way through here tonight. I'm not going to take a great big long text. But the opening of the 13th chapter reads us the 12 names of the spies that were selected by Moses. And the Lord told him to select these 12 men to go in and spy out the land. And so he sent them southward to go Uh, up into the mountain and to see the land that was there. And the scripture tells us that they spent 40 days in the land of Canaan. Now, the land of Canaan is such a powerful uh, part of history. It is what we know now as modern-day Israel. And so uh, in this time when uh, the nation of Islam is claiming that they had first dibs on the land of Canaan, we can come back to the Holy Scripture and realize that where that mosque is sitting today and the Dome of the Rock is sitting today, it's not called uh, the Dome of the Rock Mount. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not called the Mosque Mount. Somebody tell me what it's called. It's called the Temple Mount. You know why? Because that's where the temple was built and that's where the temple is going to be rebuilt. But before there was a temple there, well, I felt a little check right there. How many of you ever believe there's going to be a temple built there? And I'm going to tell you what else is going to happen on that same hill. The Bible said that when he comes back with 10,000 of 10,000 of his saints, that he's going to plant one foot on top of that temple mount and one foot on the Mount of Olives. And this time he's not coming back for the salvation of Jerusalem. He's coming back to judge the earth. And the Bible said that there's going to be a flaming sword coming out of his mouth, which is the word of God. But we're going to be on the backside of that thing. And we're going to be watching because we've already overcome the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I'm preaching to a house full of overcomers tonight. I'm preaching to some people that know what it feels like to go through the fire. But you came out. So the land of Israel is vitally important to us to understand 
the history of what's going on there and how this all happened. Now, the Lord gave a promise to Abram that they would possess the land. And then the Lord begins to speak again in this particular story coming through the Exodus that the Lord did not just take them out of Egypt to lead them into the wilderness. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. There are some people that have consigned themselves to the idea and resigned themselves to the idea that God brought you out of Egypt to leave you in the wilderness. That is a prevalent spirit that was working even among the children of Israel. Every time they'd get their back up against the wall, they'd say, what, did God just bring us out here to let us die? Would we not have been better off to die in Egypt? And notice what they begin to speak of. When God has provided them with heavenly manna every day and even blown quail into their camp when they complained about the manna, then they complained about the quail while it was still in their teeth. They said, we want to go back to the leek, the garlic, and the onions that were in Egypt. Why is it? That when we get in times where our backs are against the wall, that the only thing we can remember about where he brought us from was the highlights and the high points. They never mentioned anything about the bondage. They never mentioned anything about the back beatings and the lashings. They never mentioned anything about slime pits. They never mentioned anything about mud and mortar. They never mentioned anything about that. I want to tell you what the devil does. He has a way of extracting memories from your past that were the good times. Memories from your past that were the old days where you had fun with your friends. But he'll make you forget about those long nights where you laid in bed trying to figure out if you were going to live through the night. He made you forget about what it felt like to go to bed in a drunken stupor and wake up bowing before a porcelain God. Isn't that something? These people have scars on their backs from the way that Egypt treated them. They said, oh, we want to go back to the way they fed us. I've always been overwhelmed by the thought That somebody could get up from the table of mercy and not eating and go back out to the land of Egypt and feed themselves there on what they were fed on while they were there in Egypt. I believe tonight I can say this with confidence and not sound arrogant at all. I'm just speaking about the word of God and how pure it is and how right it is and how well it knows. The Bible said that it will pierce To the very core of who we are, it divides. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I would say to you tonight that if you're in a revival atmosphere in a church like this church and you're not being fed, it's probably because you put your utensils away and you got away from the table. I'm saying to you tonight that if you're hungry enough to eat, you'll sit down at the table. My mama, boy, my mom was, was tough on us. Thank God I always liked everything when we were kids, but my sister... It's funny now because she's Miss she's Miss Foo Foo Wheatgrass Juice, and but when we were kids, man, she wouldn't even she wouldn't even eat carrots. I remember one night we were sitting at the table. My mom was making Jody eat her peas and carrots, and she literally chewed on them and started started gagging. My mom said, "You're gonna swallow it. You're gonna eat it." And my sister sat there gagging until she finally vomited in her plate, and we all just about lost our dinner. And my mom had this thing. She was like, you will eat what's sat in front of you. You understand what I'm saying? And we were on the evangelistic field. And uh, my mom and dad, they had this really neat way of talking to us that we, really, we understood so very well. That before we would walk into a pastor's house where the, the pastor's wife had prepared a meal, 
we would get we would we, we would get one of these before we walked in kind of under the voice the lips never moved and it was all through the teeth we'd go to walk in if you don't like what they cooked you eat every bite of it and keep your mouth shut and they're standing there smiling praise the lord elder So good to be here with you. I'll shut your mouth and don't say a word about it. And we'd sit down at the table. I remember one time we were in this pastor's house and they had a missionary from Africa living with them. I have no clue what we ate that night. None. But I probably still have a, a scar on my leg from the times that my mom or my dad would reach under the table and boy, they'd... It wasn't for the sake of goosing, neither. If you raised your eyebrow and looked at that plate like that looks funny, that was a big, big, big mistake. And so we learned the, we learned the pill popping trick. If you didn't like it, you just put a, a mouthful of the food in, took a big drink of water and swallowed it down, got it done. And there are times in the house of God when the word comes forth and it's not really what we want to eat. But it's good for us. And sometimes when that word comes forth, I know it's not the hot fudge cake from Frisch's that you were looking for. Woo. I'm surprised nobody got up and ran on that right there now. That's probably because you ain't never had a hot fudge cake from Frisch's, if I had to guess. But there is, there is something about the word of God in seasons of my life that I've been in, that I know what word is coming across to me right then is exactly what I need. But it's bitter to my taste. And the Lord is using that to refine my taste and to teach me that what He has prepared at the table is a table of mercy for me. And that He is speaking life into me. Listen to me when I tell you tonight that this world is full of religious people that want to sit down at a table full of donuts and cereal and sugar sweet and just enjoy it. But the Word of God has a way of being coated with honey over it. Not sugar, but honey that will heal the soul and heal the stomach and it can do something for you. You hear this preacher when I tell you tonight that anything that's ever preached across this pulpit is never to do damage. But when the Word of God comes in and it starts cutting through me and it starts cutting through my soul, it's in that moment that I realize, Lord, I'm going to open myself up and let you minister to me right now. Sometimes that Word has to cut things out of my life that I don't enjoy, but I'm saying tonight, Holy Ghost, bring it on. I want you to cut it out of me. Anything in me that would separate me from the will of God, cut it out of me. Cut it out of me. I want him to cut it out of me. So, we have come to a place where they are now moving into possession of the land as they move through the process of the wilderness. There will always be a wilderness process in your life. Where God begins to establish some things. And sometimes it's a painful process that you just have to live through. But I would rather, I would rather spend 40 years in a wilderness. Underneath a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Surrounding that Old Testament tabernacle in the wilderness. And seeing that glory cloud rest. I'd rather spend 40 years there knowing that my answer is on the way. 
than I would to go back to what God brought me out of and live in the land of Egypt. Are you hearing what this preacher is telling you tonight? Something's got to transpire in us that we don't despise the wilderness experience. God is establishing some things in us. He is teaching us some things in the wilderness that's going to prepare us to be ready to enter into the promised land. And so they come out into the wilderness and the Lord tells Moses, he said, just send 12 guys in, pick them out, send them in. And here's the thing that I want you to understand about these 12 men. Before they go in, they are men of good report. They are 12 men of good report and good rapport. They are 12 men that are honorable. They're 12 men that Moses looked to and felt like they're trustworthy. But there is something that I don't know how to explain to you tonight that comes out of a man. When they're faced with something that looks bigger than they are. And they start questioning whether they are really everything God said that they could be. And when they walked into the land of Canaan for 40 days, walking its width and its breadth, the Bible said that they came to notice that there were some mighty, mighty big men that were wandering around the land of Canaan. They were great big, huge giants, Nephilim, great big, huge men. And they were worried that in their language, not in God's language, in their language they said, we are but grasshoppers in the eyes of these men. And we cannot do it. And so they went in and they came to a brook that's called Eshkol. And Eshkol just means cluster. And the reason why they called it cluster is because here in the land of giants that was supposed to be the land of promise, the Bible said that these 12 men grabbed up a cluster of grapes, Eshkol. They grabbed a cluster of grapes that was so large. It says here they bear it between two upon a staff. Now, there is some debate as to whether or not this meant it took two men to carry it, or that it was large, so large that it took two rods to carry it. Two large rods that, that the cluster of grapes was so big. Now listen to what I'm telling you right now. Here's what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. It was the biggest grapes they had ever seen in their life. It was absolutely the largest cluster of grapes they had ever seen. Whether it meant they were carried on two rods or on the shoulders of two men or both. Either way, it was very, very large. And so they reach out. Now I'm going to mess with you right here. They reach out and grab hold of a piece of their promise that is as big as they've ever seen. And the only thing they can think of is it takes a great big giant to eat grapes this big. Think about that. You got the weight of promise on your shoulder. Woo! Them babies are big. Can you imagine the size of that rascal that's been eating these? All the time, the weight of promise is resting on their shoulder. And God said, this is how big I want to bless you. This is what I want to do in your life. And the only thing they can think of with the weight of blessing and promise on their shoulder is how much they've got to lose. But if you go back to the promise of the Lord, he said to them, I am going to let you live in houses that you did not build. 
and I'm going to let you eat from somebody's shout vineyards. Do you understand that while doubt was absolutely consuming their minds that they were standing in the middle of one of their promises from God? They're standing at a brook called Esco Cluster. They're in a cluster of blessing and they can't get their eyes off the giant. God's trying to bless them and they're telling God why they can't do it. Woo! I'm trying to preach to a church right now that's trying to learn how to navigate your way through a pandemic we've never been in. I'm trying to preach to a church right now that's in territory where giants are dwelling, where there are great big mountains that we've never dreamed and giants that we've never dreamed we'd be fighting. But let me just declare something to you tonight. I don't care what the devil has tried to convince you. I don't care what the devil has tried to tell you. I want to scream out to these spies right here and tell them before you start looking at the giant I want you to start weighing the blessing that's on your shoulder right now a few weeks ago my faith was not weak I don't, I don't mean that by any measure but our faith was under attack and I remember, I don't know if I've shared this publicly or not. I know I've shared it with a few people in private. But I love being in church. I love being with you precious people. And I, there's, just, there's just no substitute for being together. Amen. And on the first Sunday night of Cuss Word 19, uh, I remember coming in here and it was just our, our media team, our musicians. We came in the sanctuary on that Sunday night. And I stood behind this pulpit and I preached. And it was so odd because I preached and I could feel the anointing of God and I could feel the fervor of God, just that fire burning within me. And I got to the end of the sermon and it was time for what I'm used to. It was time for you people to start coming out of your pews and Filling up this altar and people weeping and crying and praising God. But there was nobody in here. And I finished preaching and I just said, Lord bless you. We love you. We'll be back on Wednesday night. And Brother Boaz gave me the thumbs up, which meant we're off. We're done. And I was standing behind this pulpit. And... I just remember that when his thumb went up in the air, it was the last thing I remember seeing. I looked back and he gave me the nod and his thumb went up. And I just laid across his desk and I started weeping. I couldn't help it. I just laid across this pulpit and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I said, God, this is not what the end time church is supposed to look like. I refuse to preach to an empty building until the coming of the Lord. I refused to just preach to an empty building and to the coming of the Lord. And over the last few weeks and now a couple of months, you know, there's been a little bit of normalcy that's come back to us. And I'm watching people that are walking in the blessings of the Lord. Church, I want to tell you that we are extremely blessed that in five months of all this foolishness that's going on right now, 
We have only had a few people that have been affected by this virus and were able to catch it enough early enough to stay home. Are, are you hearing what I'm telling you? I have friends that their church has been hammered with this stuff. I mean, it's awful. And you have been so, so diligent and you've been vigilant. You have, you have done what we've asked you to do for the most part. Some, some of you love that handshaking and hugging and you just can't get it out of a good Pentecostal. You know what I mean? And I ain't complaining. I'm not crying about it. Praise God. Amen. Because there's something about us coming together. But my point is very simply this. During the 53 days that we weren't together, our number one goal was just to get back together. But now we're back together. And the enemy knows that we're back together. And so he's going to try to get us to get our eyes off the grapes. We're walking with the weight of glory on our shoulders. Saying, my God, you've met us here every single service. Thursday night prayer meetings have been so powerful. But we go home and we start looking at the giants. Oh, how many have died of the virus? How many are sick of the virus? What's going on? Who hates who this week? Who's shooting who this week? Let me tell y'all something tonight. There has always been strife in the world. There's always been sin around. But where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I'm declaring to you that this is not a land of giants. This is my land of promise. And I will stand in the blessings of the Lord. So, 24 of Numbers 13. The place was called the brook Eshcol. Because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. I've always found it interesting in this passage that as we get in to the, to the reports that come in starting in verse 26. Is that there were ten gripes and two grapes. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Ten came out with gripes and two came out with grapes. But when Caleb and Joshua, I don't know, it's not recorded, but some, something got a hold of them. I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if they grabbed a hold of one of them great big old grapes, took a bite of it. Man, when I was a kid, we'd go preach in Florida and this, this Pastor that uh, pastor that brother Kennedy, he had an orange grove behind his church in Arcadia. We'd go out to his orange trees, and I'd stand out there eating oranges, and it'd run down my chin, dripping off my, dripping off my elbows. I was sticky all day. I was running from bees. You understand what I'm saying? And I can just see Caleb and Joshua stand there, got a got a grape as big as an orange, got it in their mouth, and grape juice is running out. And Caleb looks over at Joshua and says, "You know what?" I think we can do this. I think we can do this. And then Tim boys following behind said, Man, these guys are stupid. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with these people. Man, they're they're nuts. Did you see the size of that giant? Now understand me when I tell you, I believe in being a realist. But if you ever get a taste of the miracle that God oh listen. I'm trying to help somebody here right now. Here's the difference. The ten that were walking behind them said, man, they're going to kill us because we stole them giants' grapes. 
But the two that are tasting of it, I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know what happened. I'm just guessing. It's not in the book that they had to taste something. But the ten that were behind were saying, man, they stole the giant's grapes. And the two that have the grapes saying, they don't belong to the giants. These are my grapes. I feel like telling you tonight, the enemy's tried to convince you that your victory belongs to him. The enemy's tried to tell you... I feel like preaching up in here tonight. You need to get a taste of victory. And no, it don't belong to the devil. (laughs) Something, Something happened in Caleb and Joshua that convinced them this tastes good enough to fight for. The promise of God said to them, you're going to go to a land that flows with milk and honey, and you're going to live in houses you didn't build, and you're going to eat from vineyards you did not plant. What the Lord did not tell them is that the people who built the houses and planted the vineyards were giants. I'm getting ready to preach to you something really real right here, okay? I'm going to talk to every single person in this church, and i got to get you convinced of what I'm getting ready to tell you right now. During this season of my life, there's been things I've been praying and hadn't received a single answer from God, and I'm going to tell you why. Because the Scripture says that God will hide a thing from His men. There's things that God is not going to give us answers to Until we get to it. I'll tell you why. Because when the Lord was trying to convince Moses in Egypt. He was going to deliver them and bring them out. The Lord could not tell him every detail. That was going to happen in the wilderness experience. Or more than likely Moses would have stayed his hide in Egypt. Because whenever you walk in the will of God. There will be sorrows. There will be heartbreak. Oh, well, I'm in the will of God. I should be exempt from that thing. Well, apparently you've never walked in the will of God. Because I have found that the will of God is often one of the most dangerous places in the world to be with people and the safest place in the world to be with God. And you're going to find out that when you're walking in the will of God, you find out who your real friends are. And the Lord took Moses in the process and he stuck him up in the cleft of the rock. Y'all read this, right? The Bible said the Lord took his hand and he put it over the cleft of the rock. And he said to him, he said, Moses, you can't, you can't see me. He said, but when I'm done, you'll see my hinder parts. Now that was interesting when I was a little boy to try to get that mental picture in my head in Sunday school. The Lord said, you'll see my hinder parts. And I'm thinking, Lord, you're invisible. I, I mean, I don't know what in the world you could be showing Moses, when you like, what's, what's your hinder parts? What does that mean? The older I got, the more it made sense to me. That what the Lord was saying to Moses is, while I'm working, I can't crack my fingers and let you see into the process. But when I get finished, you're going to know I've been there all the time. You're going to see my hinder parts. What he was saying is, 
you're going to see the accomplished work. But if I were to let you peer into the process while I'm working, you couldn't handle it and you'd probably die in the cleft of the rock. And Moses, my intention for you was not to die in the cleft of the rock. My intention was for you to wait there on me and let me work and you trust my motive and you trust my hand that when you can't see me working, you know I'm working for you. So let me speak life to somebody tonight who feels like you're hidden in the cleft of the rock and you can't figure out what God's doing. Welcome to the party. But if you can learn to trust God while you can't see, man, I feel something right there. While he's got his hand over you. I've been through things in my life that if the Lord would have told me before I went into it that I was going to go into it, I wouldn't have went. I mean, how many times did we see this principle in the scripture? Let us go to the other side. Oh, okay, that sounds like a great idea. We're going on a boat ride with Jesus. But I'm not going to mention to you. What are we going to do? The same thing I told you we were going to do before the storm came. You can't get distracted by the storm when you're standing in the blessing and favor of the vessel. I, I wish God could do something in us. That while we're standing in the boat, and it, I know it gets rocky sometimes, but you hear what I'm saying to you right now. I'd rather be in any boat than I would on any wave. I'd rather be holding on than treading. But the Horner said it the other night. I said, when they sink, we're going to swim. So I just want to tell you 10 that's behind me right now that's trying to give all my victory and all my grapes back to the giants. What you think is stolen property from the giants, what you need to know is God already promised me this before we ever got here. So with every step that I take, some of you are worried about what's going to come behind us, but I'm telling you that this, these, this cluster of grapes, this is the first step to our victory. My God, I'm trying to stay in my skin tonight. I feel like preaching on this Sunday night. Quit worrying about tomorrow. Grab those grapes and keep on walking. When is God going to heal my body? When is God going to let this virus disappear? When is God going to save so-and-so? When is God going to turn this around? I don't know, but I've got a promise on me right now. Uh, oh God twenty six they went came to Moses to Aaron, the congregation of the children of Israel into the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, and what they do showed them the fruit of the land. This should have been a preview. 
I just know how I, how I think. Sometimes I just, I'm just looking for that little answer. You know what I mean? Just that little break. When that person I've been praying for may not have walked through the doors of the church yet. But God lets me bump into them in a store. Yeah, but pastor, that's not the completed work. No, you, you, don't, you don't understand how God can do things like that. Oh, man. Man, I just feel something pushing me tonight in the Holy Ghost. I feel faith up in here. I, I just feel like telling you right now, we need to start learning how to celebrate small victories. Yeah, but the giants are still there. Yeah, but so are the grapes. All right, let's break it down tonight. Is your glass half empty or is it half full? I get tickled when I think about this, but it's just my personality. I'm sorry. I've served God long enough now to know that when I don't have answers, it means he's working on something. And so while they're looking at driving out the giants, Caleb and Joshua are saying, yeah, but we got some grapes. Look, I mean, look. Look, look at what we brought out. Look at what happened. And in my mind, what I'm thinking is, if the giant stays there a little bit longer, he may add on to his house. Don't nobody want to help me preach right now. If the giant stays there a little bit longer, he may expand his garden because... He didn't get as many grapes. The Lord said, I'm going to leave your enemy there for a while to expand the territory that I'm, whoo, that I'm getting ready to move you into. My God, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. But God, we're ready to possess the land. He said, you're not ready for the land yet. I'm going to expand your territory. I'm making, making the milk and honey flow like a river. I'm expanding the vineyards. That I feel like telling somebody tonight that enemies that you've been worried about and how you're going to conquer it I feel a prophetic anointing on me right now. Things that you've been worried about, how soon it's going to move out. Let me just stop you tonight and tell you, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Because he is laying up right now. I feel it in the name of Jesus. He is laying up the inheritance of the wicked for the righteous. I feel like telling somebody right now that while he's got you in the wilderness teaching you some things, there's a man over in Canaan that is working on the soil that you're going to live on. And God is allowing your enemy to prosper. He's not prospering so that he could have dominion over you. But your enemy is prospering right now. Because when you possess a land, you're going to live in the promise of God. Oh, I feel like moving in this house right now. The devil's working on my victory right now. The devil's working on my soil. Devil, you don't know it, but you're working on my harvest right now.
I believe somebody's starting to get the vision of what I'm preaching to you right now. You go ahead and let them giants work the soil. That's all right. Let them go ahead and add on to their houses. That's all right. You go ahead and let them tend over there to their bees that are making the honey that you're going to put on the roof of your baby's mouth. Whoa, my God have mercy. You go ahead and let it happen. I'm telling you right now that the enemy is working on the miracle in your life. God will not forsake you. Twenty-seven. They told him and said, "We came into the land where you sent us." I love this man. They showed him the fruit of the land, and in the very next verse, he said, "It's it's true, brother. You told us there was milk and honey there, and guess what's there? It really is true. It flows with milk and honey." And again, they pointed to the testimony and said, "This." This is the fruit of it. This is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land to the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amorites, they dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses, and he said, Watch this. Let's go get them. Right now. Anybody here know what Caleb means? Scripture. It means dog. It wasn't the size of the dog in the fight. It was the size of the fight in the dog. Caleb said, we can make this happen, boys. How do you know? Well, 31, things start trying to shift. Caleb said, hey, I think we can overcome this. And here comes that that conjunction that I I hate, that three-letter conjunction. But the men that went up with him said, well, we're not able They are stronger than we. Whose opinion is that? They brought up a, I can't see real well. What's that word right there? Oh. I thought that's what it said, but surely not. Surely, surely the Lord doesn't look at that report as evil. No way. Evil? That's a heavy word, Pastor. Evil? Can I just tell you, God convicted me about this. He said, son, if you don't know how to speak favor, speak my promise, then your communication has been corrupted. It's evil. So, well, show me some word then, Lord. Show me, show me the principle. He said, okay. His name's Zechariah. He thought it was too late. Him and his wife were too old. 
But I sent an angel to him while he was doing his priestly duties in the temple and said to him, you're going to go home to your wife and she's going to conceive a child. And he, he said, <laughs> okay. I'm already drawn so security, Lord. Elizabeth can't have a baby. Medicare don't pay for babies. <laughs> and before Zacharias could say a negative, another negative word, what'd the Lord do? Sealed him up. Am I in the book? The next time Zacharias spoke a word, my God, I feel something. The next time that Zechariah spoke a word out of his mouth was when Elizabeth was going to name the baby John. But the Lord said the baby's name would, uh, would or we're going to name him Zacharias. And the Lord said his name was going to be John. She wanted to name him after daddy. But the Lord said, I've already given him a name. And the next time that, that Zacharias opens up his mouth is when he is willing to name the child what God is naming it. The Lord said, I'm not going to let you speak until you can start speaking things the way I told you to speak them. And when he said, we're going to name him John, his mouth came open. And the forerunner of Christ was born. And a name was given to him. And Jesus said there's never been another man, a servant, a prophet of God born that was any greater than John. Can I tell you what needs to happen in the middle of chaos and trial right now? And it feels like tragedies around. If we can't name it what God names it, we need to keep our mouth closed. I know some are looking at this as the darkest hour of the world. I'm looking at it as prime revival. I'm looking at it as a time when people are turning to God. I'm looking at it when uh, backsliders are saying, Lord, we got to get back to the house of God. Don't you call it darkness. It's revival. Verse 33, we finish. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And this right here is one of the saddest lines in this, this Old Testament passage. I feel like God's trying to speak to his church tonight. I know this is so simple, man. I'm preaching kindergarten finger painting to you tonight. I want us to read this together right now. After that, after that colon right there. Oh, I just want you to help me with this. And we were in our Let that marinate in your spirit. We were in our. Not calling it what God told us to call it. I want to speak to you in the Holy Ghost tonight and tell somebody in this place that the enemy has beat your brains out. It's time for you to start seeing yourself the way God sees you.
Pastor, you don't know what my father said to me. You don't know what my mother said to me. You don't know what my ex-spouse said to me. You don't know what my friend said to me. You just don't know. And you know what, honey? You're right. I don't have a clue. But I can tell you that whatever judgment they pronounced over you, if it didn't come out of the mouth of God, that is not who you are. I'm going to run you through this. I'm about finished preaching tonight. I'm fixing to take you through one, one more crescendo here in just a minute. God's going to move. But I want you to notice how this, this portion of this chapter closes out. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. Now, this is crazy. This is nuts right here. And so we were in their sight. Here's what I want to know. Where in the story did one of these 12 rascals stop and talk to one of the inhabitants of Canaan and say, Hey, how do you see us? My daddy's bigger than yours. Listen, this is so powerful and valuable. They assumed because of the way they saw themselves that they knew what the enemy thought of them as well. Oh, God. You think he sees you as weak and feeble. But the reason he's fighting you so hard is because he knows how much God Believes in you. (laughs) I know you've been telling God how weak you feel. And how feeble you feel. And you've been struggling. Get down on your knees saying, God, this one's bigger than me. But what you don't understand is that while you're praying in the Holy Ghost, there are angels that are standing around you. And the devil's in hell. They don't hear what you're praying. That God that conversation is guarded by the angels of the Lord so they don't see you as weak and feeble they see you the enemy sees you as a mighty warrior that's on your face in prayer and tearing down his kingdom don't just assume that the enemy thinks you're weak I'm telling you, I'm preaching to somebody in here right now. You convince yourself that he sees you the way you think you are. But the scariest day for the destroyer of your soul, your adversary is going to be the day that you see yourself the way God sees you and you see yourself the way that he sees you. Pastor, is that really all there was to it? Is that... Those ten just didn't believe, so God wiped them out and used the faith of the two. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened here. I'm going to tell you ultimately what happened. Is that when the word of God goes forth, it's going to happen. Whether you believe it or you don't believe it, it's going to happen. Exodus 23 and 23. 
is one of the most powerful parts of what's going to happen when they get to the promised land. Exodus 23, 23. Man, I, I couldn't hurt. I was in my office today, and I honest to God thought I was going to jump up out of my chair and flip my desk over. I've read this a bunch of times, and I, I knew it was there, but I just feel so good when I read it. I love it. This is one of my favorite parts. Before they ever got there and saw giants in the land, before that ever happened, in Exodus 23, 23, the Lord said, and my angel shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the what? Now listen, he starts naming the people that they said was there when they went in to spy out the land. They said, we can't do it. The Lord said, I've already sent an angel in there. Go, go ahead to that next verse, Brother Tyler. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor do after their works, but thou shalt... You're going to walk in there and the angel of the Lord is going to fight for you and they've got to get off your promise. Go ahead, brother. And you shall serve the Lord and he shall bless thy bread and thy water. I'm going to let you read this part. Before COVID ever got here, there was an angel here. <laughs> there shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee. I will destroy all the people with whom thou shalt come. And I will make thy enemies turn their backs. You'll never draw your sword. He said, I will send hornets before thee. which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. Hallelujah. By little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. I just want to stop right there for time. The Lord said, I'm not going to do it all at once. But as you start walking by faith... I'm going to send a hornet before you, and my angel is already there. And little by little, I'm going to start moving it out and start knocking it out. And until you take the next tribe and the next people that are living in Canaan, I'm going to let them keep on working and working the soil and working in your miracle. And while I'm casting this out, the next movement's going to be working on your miracle. Can I tell you, he has confirmed his word before you ever got to the promised land. He said, my angel is going to lead you there. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to take care of it. I just want to speak peace to somebody in the Holy Ghost tonight. And tell you, just kick back and relax in God tonight. Just relax in your prayer time and know God has got this. He is bigger than the battle that you're facing. He's going to drive it out. It's going to happen. Why? Because he said it would. And God will do what he said he would do. You ought to give him praise. 
the angels already gone before you. You are. The New Testament said you are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Ambassadors live in embassies. And embassies are the property of the land that they represent. If you're in a foreign country but you're, you're in the United States embassy, you're standing on American soil while you're in that embassy. And wherever the ambassador goes and he moves throughout that area, he is carrying the power of that nation or that kingdom behind him everywhere that he goes. So as an ambassador of heaven that is representing the embassy of heaven, Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come. Somebody say kingdom come. Why do that? Because you are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And everywhere you walk, you are an embassy of heaven. You are an embassy of heaven. And that means when you walk into trouble, the angel of the Lord's gone before you. And the power of the nation of heaven and the kingdom of heaven is behind you. I'm declaring to somebody tonight, walk on ambassador. Walk on with boldness. You are an ambassador of a kingdom that's beyond this world. You are. I need about 15 or 20 people right now to get convinced that if everybody else in the world thinks this is the end, it ain't the end for you. You're going to see victory. You have not seen your greatest revival yet. You have not seen your greatest harvest yet. You have not danced your greatest dance yet. Come on, somebody. I need you to get convinced tonight. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. You let that giant keep on working the land because God has gone before you. I'm seeing giants coming down. I'm, I'm seeing giants come down. Somebody ought to dance on it tonight. My giant is going to fall. Just encouraging you tonight. I ain't got nothing left to preach. He ring me out like a dish rag right now. I'm done. I'm tired. But I came in this house tonight to encourage somebody. Quit looking at the giants and take a bite of that big old grape. Because the promise is greater than the pressure. The promise is greater than your adversary. The promise is greater than what you're facing tonight. Come on, they're going to play a little bit of music in this house. We're going to put our hands together and worship. But I'm declaring to you before you ever leave here tonight, you are victorious. You are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. We're going to win in the name of Jesus. If you believe it, let us shout out in this house right now. Lift your voice and shout unto God with a voice of triumph.